The whole perspective behind this series is basically life gets chaotic. It's, it's, a, it's something that we can identify with. Uh, frankly, no matter where you are in life, you can identify with this. Um, we all at different times in life and pretty much for some of us consistently in life, live life at a place where it's just difficult to find balance. And what I mean by that is in life, because of the country that we live in, because of the pace that you know, we work with, um, there's just so much to balance. There's so many relationships. There's so many responsibilities. There's so many things that are going on between people, between you know, work, between school, between all the friendships, all the relationships, all the marriages, all the kids that you have in life. Sometimes it's so, so, so incredibly difficult to find balance in the midst of all that. And I remember that my, kind of my, one of my first experiences with this. If you're in middle school, you know, you got all the time in the world, you know, you don't really care. But I remember in high school was the first time I felt like this. I remember, you know, it was, it was around my junior year and junior year, you know, you actually start to learn stuff. And so you're going through, you know, high school and I had just started a job for the first time and I was working and, you know, kind of as, as a high school boy, you know, always have a girl that you're always interested in, but she's never interested in you, but you always think that you're interested in her, but, you know, just kind of, anyways, at the same time I had school going on, at the same time I had work going on, at the same time I had friends going on, a bunch of stuff happened. And here's the interesting thing. I didn't even like school, but I remember thinking, if I liked school, in fact, if I actually did my homework, I don't feel like there's any way that I could get all my homework done because I just have so much to do, right? And then you graduate from high school and you get to college and you think, I had so little to do when I was in high school, and all of a sudden, you know, you're taking 12 hours and you thought, okay, that means I don't have to go to school for 12 hours a week. That's incredible. I went that on like a Monday, Tuesday in high school or a Monday and a half a Tuesday. But you didn't realize that your, you know, your professors you know, basically quadrupled down on your workload and they taught the entire time as opposed to high school when they teach half the time and then do homework the other half of the time, which you didn't even do homework. You just talked to your friends because you just had so much time. But you didn't realize you had that much time. Anyway, at the same time, you're trying to work. Maybe you're doing an internship, you get to your junior year, your senior year, and it seems like the first couple weeks of the semester are just fine, you've got plenty of time, and then the actual workload hits, and it's like all your teachers had this meeting that no one told you about, and they all decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this as hard as we possibly can. So let's just all plan all of our tests, all of our quizzes, all of our midterms, all of our papers, all on the same week, about six weeks into the semester. And all of a sudden, you feel like you don't have enough time. And you're sitting there trying to figure out how do I balance my friends? How do I balance my family? How do I balance my work? How do I balance my internships? How do I balance perhaps this boyfriend or this girlfriend that I had? And then you get married. And if you're lucky, you have kids. And then you look back at college and you think, I wish I was that busy. Because kids are the greatest alarm clock that you never paid for. Let me just tell you that. I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on in life. In fact, it doesn't matter. You know, here, here, here's the great thing about kids. They're the alarm clock that you never set that oftentimes set itself to the worst possible times. You know, the kids are like the type that they decided they're just going to go off from two in the morning till four o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the morning the night before you go to four services. And they're just going to wake up, you know, and dad, I'm ready to play. It's like, what? You just get a life, kid. So 
you, you grow up, you grow up, you grow up, and then you have a wife and you have kids. And at the same, you know, you're balancing this job that you have. It's a real responsibility. You've got to provide for your family. You've got kids that you, you, know, you just want to spend time with, want to spend time with, want to spend time with. Wish you could just spend all kinds of time with them. At the same time, you've got a wife or, you know, a husband or someone, you know, in your life that you're just trying to maintain that balance. And you've got friends. And, and honestly, honestly, here's what happens in life. It just increases and increases and increases. And in fact, Lindsay and I, this two nights ago, we were talking about this subject, talking about this story. And we kind of paused for a second and said, you know, there's going to come a point in life. There's going to come a point in time where we're going to look back on this season like we have every other season and think, I thought I was busy then. You know, because everybody can look back at the previous season of life and think, I thought I was busy, but I had no clue how much time I had until I didn't have it anymore. And we talked and said, gosh, we're going to look back. We're currently about 10 months into this experiment that we call parenting. And we're going to look back at this when we have two kids, maybe three kids. In fact, Lindsay wants to adopt like an entire country, you know, so we're going to have like a school bus full of just young ones yelling. And we're going to, we're going to look back at some point in life. We were talking about this the other day. We're, like, we're going to look back at some point in life at this season of our life and think we had so much time. Remember, we just had one kid. Now we've got a village, you know, <laughs> and it's going to happen. And, 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 come on. The older you get, the more you know this. The older the get, you get, the more you know this. In fact, some of you, you're further ahead. Some of you, you're way further ahead. And you can just speak back and you could say, you have no clue. You have no clue. But for all of us, we try to figure this life out in balance. And here's what's difficult about it. You come to a place like this. You hear a guy or a girl or someone like me that speaks. And they give you challenges on top of that. Or you read what Jesus said, perhaps. And something like what Jesus said, so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I have instructed you. And there's this idea in Christianity, for those of you who are Christians, there's this idea in Christianity that you're supposed to now go do something with your faith. Go tell more people about your faith. You're supposed to go make disciples. You're supposed to go find people who don't know Jesus, perhaps have walked away from their faith, perhaps are on the periphery of Christianity, just kind of looking in and interested. And you're supposed to help them to come to a faith and a realization that Jesus is the Messiah and then walk with them deeper. And you come to church and someone says, so go, go, go. <laughs> and you always feel inspired and perhaps a little bit guilty and perhaps a little bit like, I don't know how that works. But when the rubber meets the road, you've already got so much going on in life that the thought of adding this idea of going, going, going and making disciples just seems so, so, so impossible because you're already balancing so much. And of the things that you're balancing, there's a good chance you can't walk away from any of it. You can't in good conscience walk away from your job. You can't in good conscience walk away from your wife or from your family. You can't in good conscience walk away from your mom or your dad or your kids or, your, you know, whoever it is that's around you. So how in the world do you find balance between this existing life full of obligations and responsibilities and opportunities? And yet, have this call to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, here's kind of how it phrased it in my mind. What would it look like? What would it look like for Paul to be a high school student? 
in 2016? What would it look like for Paul, the Apostle Paul, to be a college student that's taken 15 hours and has got a 20-hour-a-week internship and at the same time is trying to pay some bills and has a boyfriend or has a girlfriend and has some friend groups? What would it look like for Jesus to be an accountant? What would it look like for Jesus to be a state employee in 2016? What would it look like for Jesus to be a small business owner in 2016 with a wife and kids and a family? Because what they had seems unrealistic. They had the autonomy to go and to just travel around. Paul had the autonomy, and he would go travel around the Mediterranean Rim just telling people about Jesus and telling people about Jesus and telling people about Jesus. And oftentimes, what we feel like is we have to go, 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 go. But if I were to go, I would drop all of the responsibilities that I currently have. So what in the world does it look like to balance this call of God on my life with all of the growing responsibilities that I have in my life. Now, for the next two weeks, all we're going to do is talk about how that happens. All we're going to do is talk about how that works out. And I think what we're going to discover is something so much more deep and meaningful than any of us perhaps thought we had in our everyday life. Now, to get there, we're going to be in the book of Luke. If you've got your Bible with you, you're more than welcome to open up if you don't. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at all, we've got some in the back that you're welcome to take one. We'll have it up on the screen as well. But we're going to be in the book of Luke. Now, let me tell you a little bit about my, my, my buddy Luke here. So Luke is a guy um, who wrote the book of Luke. So, you know, super creative title there on that one. Um, Luke is actually, let me tell you why I love Luke. Luke is a historian and a doctor. So Luke's a, very, Luke's, Luke's a brilliant guy. And Luke would travel around and he'd follow this guy named Peter. Perhaps some of you guys have heard of Peter. Peter was one of the guys who followed Jesus the, the closest. Jesus had, you know, 12 disciples. And then there was the core three of which Peter was one of those. And Luke was from the same town as Peter was. And Luke traveled around and followed Peter. And as Luke traveled around and followed Peter, he, he would also um, talk to people and interview people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 1, Luke starts out and basically says, I'm writing to this, this letter to this guy named Theophilus. And Theophilus, I am writing that you may have an orderly account of the life of Christ. In other words, Theophilus, I've talked to people, I've interviewed people, I've talked to eyewitnesses, and I've talked to more eyewitnesses, and I've talked to more eyewitnesses who saw there, who, who saw what happened, who heard the teaching. And Theophilus, I'm writing this as a historian so that you can have an orderly account of what happened in the life of Jesus. And in chapter 5, he opens up this story that happens to Jesus. Now, this is a little bit early on in Jesus' life. If you know much about Jesus, Jesus' central claim that he was the Messiah, that all the law, all the prophets had all been pointing to him. But at this point, very few people actually believe that he was the Messiah. Lots of people thought that he was a prophet. Because at this point, Jesus had had some incredible teachings. Jesus had, in fact, healed some people. Jesus had done some miracles. And so word was starting to circulate that Jesus, Jesus, was perhaps a prophet. A couple people thought that he was the Messiah. But everyone believed that something was different about this guy, Jesus. So people would come from all over the place to hear Jesus talk. People would come from all over the place to hear Jesus and to see Jesus heal people. And on this particular instance, they're gathered in a house. And the house is about to be packed. And in this, we're going to discover a story about some friends who did something for one of their friends that just opens up the life that God's called us to live. Now, if you've got your Bible again, you're going to open up Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says this. On one of those days, as he was teaching, 
Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting together. Now, kind of backdrop to what happens. So Jesus is teaching to some people, and as he's teaching, there's some Pharisees and some, some other people that were gathered together who had come from every village of Galilee in Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, pause. Well, lots of the, 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 the early Christians, lots of the early kind of people who would eventually not like Jesus were these scribes. They were the Pharisees. They were the people who had their kind of religious system set out. And they would often come to hear Jesus, but it wasn't because they really were interested in learning, although sometimes they were. Most times it was because they wanted to prove or disprove who Jesus was, prove that they were right, because Jesus really disrupted their religious thoughts. So for whatever reason, there's this massive group of people that are starting to gather at this house. It says, and behold, some men, verse 18, were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now, when this happens, we, we read scripture, and we talk about this all the time here. We read scripture like it doesn't actually happen to real people. But I just want you to imagine that, this, that you're the homeowner in this situation. And at first, you know, everybody starts to gather. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. You know, you have a Bible study. Like, I don't know if anyone's going to show up to our Bible study. And then people show up to the Bible study. You're like, yes, you know, they showed up. But then they keep coming and they keep coming, they keep coming. And if you're an extrovert, you're like, come on, come on, come on. You know, if you're an introvert, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, so stressed. But wherever you are on the spectrum, you know, people are showing up and more people are showing up and more people are showing up to the point where no one can get in here. And all of a sudden, you got some friends that are walking down the road that heard that there's this guy named Jesus. And they heard that he can heal. And they, in fact, have a buddy. They, in fact, have a friend who needs to be healed. And so they decide that they're going to go. So they pick him up on the bed, you know, carry him down the road. Maybe get to the, you know, the house. And we don't know how big it was around. Or, you know, we don't know how many square feet are in the house. But probably not as many as we have. And they see that there's no way to get in. So they climb up on the roof. <laughs> and I want you to imagine you're the homeowner. Maybe you got, you know, the nice seat up front. And all of a sudden, stuff starts falling on the coffee table. And you're like, what in the world? You know, do we have rats? I thought we called the pest control, you know. And you start to see your house open up. Like, the roof of your house open up. Tiles start to get moved. And this dude is coming in. And it's, and it's funny, because it's, it's not like it's a, a, he's like kind of weaseling his way through the roof. Like, they opened up enough room for a bed to come through. That's a serious hole in your roof that you now have to fix. Now, for most of us, we get ticked off when people park on our grass. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Like, if somebody comes to my house and I've just, you know, we watered and watered. Bro, I fertilized, you know? And then all of a sudden they come in and then they park on the grass. It's like, get your car, get, you know, it's always a guy with a truck because you think that you can park anywhere. Anyways, you know, get, get your truck off my grass. <laughs> but these people take the roof off the house. Take part of the roof off the house to lower their friend in. Now, let me, let me, let me tell you why that's so, so, so significant. Because there's a good chance and the Bible doesn't tell us how they met him. But there's a good chance that this was a good friend of theirs who they had known for probably a long time. We don't know if they met him as when he was, you know, kind of, you know, a young boy in Hebrew school. We don't know if, if the reason that he got paralyzed is he was born paralyzed. Perhaps he had gotten paralyzed later on in life through an accident that happened. We don't know if he was just a guy from their neighborhood. We don't know why in the world or what happened. We don't know how they come to end up, but somehow... These people see their friend who has a need and help their friend to meet the person who meets needs. Let me tell you the significance of that. Most of us 
Most of us, when we feel like we're supposed to do something for God, we feel like we need to go somewhere else and do something else. But the reality is, the call of God on the Christian's life is almost always to serve, almost always to invest in where you currently are. That means, that means, for most of us, for most of us, you are exactly where God's called you to be. You are in the family that God has called you to minister to. You are in the workplace that God has called you to be in. You have the friend group. Perhaps you work out at the gym where God has called you to be. And for most of us, we think that the call of God, making disciples of all nations, is going somewhere else, doing something else, going somewhere else, doing something else, going somewhere else, doing something else. But these friends were the friends who looked and said, man, we got this guy we know right here, and we know that he meets needs, and our friend is hurt, and so we're just going to introduce our friend to him. Now, this is why for us, let me just kind of give you an insight to us as a church. This is why we almost never do big radio ads. This is why we almost never do big TV ads. This is why, well, part of it, because we can't afford it, but on top of that, this is why we don't, you know, go flyer everywhere and put stuff up in the union and on and on and on. Not that those things are terrible, but, but here's the reality. All that stuff is almost always an out because we are too scared or don't know how to minister to the people that God already has in our life. Balance starts. Balance starts with the realization that God hasn't called you to do something else somewhere else. That God has called you to minister exactly where you are in this relationship, these relational circles, this class that you're in, this work that you're in, this family that you're in, this friend group that you're in. Is where God himself has called you to be. Not to go somewhere and to do something else. That balance, balance begins with the realization that you are, in fact, exactly where God's called you to be. And God has, in fact, called you to minister to the people who are already around you. Now, story continues. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, that being Jesus, when Jesus sees these guys' faith as this guy is getting lowered down to the roof, he said, man, your sins, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the, the, the Pharisees kind of get ticked off about this whole thing because they see that, you know, Jesus has forgiven sins. Now, a little, little, little interesting detail that we read over when we read this story. And I feel like if I was in this story, how I would feel. So I got my buddies, you know, they're carrying me down the road, and they're saying, okay, you're going to see Jesus, he's going to heal you. We're going to see Jesus, he's going to heal you. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, dang it, it's packed. We can't get inside. Let's go through the roof. I'm like, one, you guys are crazy. But two, all right, I'm in. You know, I'm just in the bed. I really, I'm at your will, your mercy, just, okay, carry me, I guess. And so, you know, goes up on the roof, gets let down, and, you know, coming down, and Jesus looks at him and says, oh my gosh, you have such incredible faith. Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> I'd say, great, but I really wanted my legs to work. Like, that's not why I walked in the building today, Jesus. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but Jesus oftentimes will look at it and say, your sins are forgiven. It's like, man, wonderful, Jesus, that, that, that's cool. Hey, can I walk? You know, would that be, would that be a big deal? 
And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, let me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you the significance. Now, I don't think you can underemphasize how big of a deal this is. Because for many of us, when we have the idea, when you hear the thought of God has called you to minister where you currently are, God has called you to minister where you are, that balance, that balance begins with the realization that God has called you to where you currently are. Many of us, under that thought process, have no clue what to do next. And in this lies the very first step. It's this. Very few people will ever come to you and say, I heard you go to church, and I just want to know how in the world I can receive the forgiveness of my sins, the salvation of my soul. I know I've erred in light of a holy God and thus being incompatible with God. So please, 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 coworker, how do I receive the forgiveness of my sins? Well, maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but I've never heard that before. I've never heard anybody come to me and say that. In fact, from time to time in the scriptures, it's the rarity that someone would come and even say, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? You know why most people came to Jesus? Because they were hungry. You know why most people came to Jesus? Because they couldn't walk. Because they couldn't see. Because they had a friend who couldn't walk. Because they had a friend who couldn't see. Because they heard they had some incredible, he had some incredible teachings. And there was something in their life that perhaps there was a hole in their life that they thought maybe he has the answers to some questions that I've been asking. You see, what happens throughout the scriptures is people come to Jesus for what for them is a primary reason. What is for Jesus a secondary reason. Jesus' primary reason is the salvation of mankind. But no one, very few people I would at least say, come to Jesus looking for genuine questions of salvation. Throughout the scriptures, a guy would come because he was hungry. Throughout the scriptures, a guy would come because he couldn't see. Throughout the scriptures, a lady would come because she had been caught in an act that no one else would, you know, talk to her afterwards. Throughout the scriptures, people came because he fed. And because he healed. And no one around you, or I would say very, very few people around you, are going to come to you and say, how do I achieve salvation? But you've got a lot of friends around you who are going through or have gone through a divorce. You've got a lot of friends around you who are going through incredibly difficult financial times who don't know how they're going to pay their bills next month. You've got friends around you You've got family members around you. You've got people at work around you that are going through incredible heartache. You've got people around you that are going through some kind of a sickness that they never thought that they would get. You've got people around you who have family members who have just found out that the news is terminal. You've got people around you every single day who are going through incredible things in life. And in fact, some of you are. For some of you, come on, let's be honest. If you're here and, and, and you're just, you know, kind of checking out Christianity, really unsure about the whole thing, let me just tell you one thing I love about our church is every time that we gather together, there are so many people who walk in the door who are just rechecking out this idea of faith. And we love it. In fact, there's a big reason why we, inst- why we started this entire church for that group of people. But let me tell you, maybe you walked in today and you don't know about Jesus You don't know about the Bible. You don't know about the inerrancy of Scripture. But you know what's going on in your life you need help with. Let me just tell you. Very few people are going to come to you that are your friends, that are your coworkers, that are your family members, and say, how do I achieve salvation? But so many people that you know 
are going through issues which to them are primary issues, which to Jesus were secondary issues. And Jesus always, 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 always used what was to him a secondary issue to get to what was a primary issue. Because, because, not in a disingenuous way, because Jesus cared about people. In fact, this is how the story ends. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees, began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Now, I love the fact that they didn't even get the chance to ask the question. Jesus just looks at him and says, I know what you're thinking, which would make Jesus a horrible person to have at a party. He says, why do you question? Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you know may, may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to this man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been lying on, what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God, were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let me just tell you, over and over throughout the scriptures, over and over throughout the Bible, you see it. That people come to Jesus. People experience salvation. But not because they came looking for salvation. Because they came looking for something they needed help with. Something that was going wrong. Some kind of an issue that they had. And in finding help with that issue, found realization of the primary issue. The salvation of their soul. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And balance is found through realizing that Jesus has put you in the place, put you in the position, put you in the family, put you in the work environment, put you in the small business, put you in the state agency, put you in the classroom, put you in the dorm room, put you in the fraternity with, put you in the sorority with, put you on the team with, put you in the class with. The people that he has called you to minister to, to speak to, to befriend, to love on, to invest in. Now, come on. If you're not a Christian, if you're, you know, you're checking this whole thing out. Wouldn't this be different? Wouldn't this be different? Wouldn't this be different if instead of people who are Christians come to you and saying, let me tell you my testimony, let me tell you my testimony, let me tell you my testimony, let me tell you my faith, let me tell you my faith, let me tell you my faith. Wouldn't it be different if they just cared about your life? Wouldn't it be different if they just invested in your life? Wouldn't it be different if instead of saying, let me tell you what I believe, let me tell you what I believe, let me tell you what I believe, they just said, hey, you want to go grab lunch? Hey, you want to go get some coffee? Hey, how's your, how's your day going? How's your life going? How's your marriage as your kids. See, a non-believing world, people who sit on the outskirts of Christianity and contemplate the ideas of God oftentimes get so turned off because we have Christians who, one, don't invest where they are, don't invest in who God's put in their life. And then sometimes when we do invest, we're so concerned with the primary issue, we don't realize that that's not their primary issue because you don't listen. You don't spend time with. You don't hang out with people. But Jesus, Jesus used, he's always, always, always used the secondary issue. 
to get to the first. Now, let me give you a couple things to, to kind of sum this whole thing up. One more thought. One of the things that we get to celebrate here, you know, at least once a semester, is baptisms. We just say, you know, hey, anybody who's made a decision to follow Christ this semester, maybe you've never been baptized before, maybe you got baptized as an infant, you know, or when you were little, but as an adult, as an adult, you want to make, you know, a public profession of your faith. And we do that, and we have, you know, film a short little, like, minute-long video, minute-and-a-half video of everybody, because we just think the stories are incredible. You know how everybody's story starts? With somebody. Everybody's story starts with somebody. I met this guy. I met this girl. I had this coworker. We met this couple. We met this family. I had this cousin. I had my dad. I had my sister. I had my friend. I had this roommate. Almost everyone who comes, almost everyone who comes and tells a story, tells a story that begins with somebody. And all we're saying is simply this. Maybe God has put somebody in your life that you've called, been called to be somebody to. Maybe God has put somebody in your life that he has called you to be somebody to. Because everyone who starts a journey in faith, everyone who comes to know Jesus, almost always starts with someone who invested in their life. So maybe you're somebody. Maybe you're somebody. Somebody who works next to you, who lives with you. Perhaps you're somebody to someone who's in the class next to you. Perhaps you're somebody as a family member who you're close with, or maybe you're not close with. But you see their life. You see the issues going on in their life. And too often, we as Christians don't say anything. Because maybe sometimes we don't know where to start. Maybe sometimes we're just scared. But God has called you. And the beginning of balance, the beginning of you means you can't miss this, the beginning of balance begins with the realization that you are exactly where God's called you to be. And you currently have the relationships with exactly who God's called you to minister to. You just have to begin to realize that you are somebody's somebody. Because everybody's story begins with somebody. Let me tell you a story to kind of wrap this whole thing up, and then we'll close. I'm going to tell you a story about, um, it's actually, it's, it's one of the best compliments I've got in the last uh, little while. So, all right, self-serving story, just admittedly here. Um, so, if you don't know about my life, let me tell you a little bit about it. I uh, do pastor this church. My nine to five is I run a, a meat company called Register Smoke. A register sausage, just really called Register's Meat Company. If you're coming to the tailgate, by the way, tonight, you're going to eat some of our sausage, so you're welcome. Um, it's the best stuff on planet Earth, by the way. Pay my mortgage and you know, buy sausage. You can tithe or you can eat sausage. So you, you choose. It's a joke. Um, anyways, so, so I do that, um, and you know, I've got a family, and, and obviously got a church and all that. Um, but one of the things that I do is I, I'm a part of this gym. It's, this, it's the most phenomenal gym on planet Earth. It's called Red Hills CrossFit. That's right. We do CrossFit, which means we are, one, yoked, and two, um, we just do crazy stuff. Everybody's on steroids, and we throw tires and stuff, okay? So all the stereotypes are 100% true, just so you know. Now, let me tell you about the compliment that I got when I was there. And, it, and honestly, when the guy said it, it wasn't, it wasn't meant as a compliment. He was at last service, and I you know, kind of talked to him afterwards. And he had no clue he was giving me a compliment when he gave me a compliment. But here's what he said. We're sitting there talking, and we had just got done with a workout, and we, you know, had, you know, just been, you know, obviously lifting a lot because I'm strong. 
And as, he, uh, as we're talking, we both had, you know, in the previous workout felt like we were going to die. We started to have this conversation. He basically said, you know, he said, I got a question. I was like, what's up, man? He said, how many people, how many people that go to our gym, go to your church? Because that just feels like everybody that I talked, I mean, I just hear it all the time. People are talking now that they go to DCC and that person goes to DCC and that person goes to DCC. He's like, there's some people that I didn't even know that you knew that were talking about how they go to DCC. In fact, this was kind of a different sub story, funny story. But I was sitting there, it was about two weeks ago, we were doing some squats, because obviously, again, we're huge. And I was talking to a guy, I was a guy that I was starting to do some squats with, because one of the places is full. I was talking to this guy. I was like, dude, you look familiar. How do I know you? He's like, oh, I go to your church. I'm like, oh, Ben Kemper, nice to meet you. Pastor of the Year Award here. You know, I don't even know who you are. So, anyways, so I'm talking to this guy, and he says, man, how many people, I mean, I just, I, lots of people are, are, are talking about it and all this stuff, and I just, I just kind of said, I don't know, man, it just happens, but, but let me tell you why that was a compliment to me, because the way I feel about my life is that 90% of the ministry that I do happens in Cottondale, Florida, where Register Me Company exists, happens in Tallahassee, Florida, where Red Hills CrossFit, in Tallahassee, Florida, where my family lives on 1314 Broom Street, please don't stalk me. Most of my life, most of my ministry exists between those three places. The way I view things, only about 10% of my ministry happens when I'm here on a Sunday morning with a microphone strapped to my face. It's great, and it's phenomenal, but let me tell you, it's only a small percentage of the people that I invest in. It's only a small percentage of the people that I work with daily at the meat company who said, I have this crazy issue going on in my life. I have this, you know, I can't pay my bills even though you work for me and I pay you. Anyways, you know, just constant, constant, constant. And Will and I, the reason that was a great, such a great compliment it's because neither one of us ever sat down and said, okay, you know, bro, let's link hands. We're going to pray. And God, we just pray that you would make this place a place of ministry, that you would make this place a place of your sovereignty. You know what I mean? We're spiritual, so we use big words, you know. God, you know, I just pray that you would, that you would, that you would, that we would have this focus and that everyone in the gym would come to know you and more so be a part of our church and that they would give too. You know, by the way, you know, that was never our prayer. You know what our, you know what our prayer was? In fact, you know what our our life was, more so. We just hang out. We just invest in people. We just spend time with people. When we're there, it's not even like a conscious thing, like, okay, I have an ulterior motive. I'm going to ask these people how their day doing so they come to church. No. It's because I care about people. It's because I realize the relationships that I have in my life are exactly what God has called me to do. So the least, the least, the least, the least that I can do is to ask someone how their day is going. How's your week? How is your family? Because I would dare say there are people who feel like they are going through literal hell on earth earth who pass by Christians every day who never took the time to even ask how you're doing and it was such a compliment it was such confirmation for me that my ministry isn't here on a Sunday morning my ministry is in the relationships in my job the relationships in my family the relationships in the way that I serve my wife. The relationships in the way that I love my daughter. The relationships in the way that I hang out with and spend time with. And just befriend people who are at the gym. Now, 
you're not a Christian, come on. Wouldn't this be different? Wouldn't this be different? Wouldn't it be different if you had people who were Christians who actually cared about you? Wouldn't it be different if you had people who weren't so concerned with cramming their faith down your throat, but were more concerned with how you're doing? More concerned with how your marriage is doing. More concerned with how your kids are doing. Shoot, let's start with more concerned with how your fantasy team's doing. Let's just start somewhere. But let me just tell you, for Christians, this is where balance starts. It starts with the realization that God has called you to minister, to invest, to meet the needs, and hopefully through doing that, they'll come to the realization of the ultimate need, which is what we believe, that at the end of the day, we serve a God who didn't stop. We serve a God who didn't stop at making blind people be able to see again making paralyzed people be able to walk again. We don't serve a God who stopped at feeding hungry people. We don't serve a God who stopped at teaching incredible teachings. We serve a God who died on a cross because of our incompatibility with God, because of the fact that we all share a central problem, which is sin. And because he's holy and because we're unholy, he made a way for us to be right with him. But most people who come to that realization don't come to it that directly. They come to it as other stuff happens, as other needs come up, and as somebody in their life invests in them. Balance. Balance, balance, balance begins as you realize, as I realize, as we realize we are exactly where God has called us to live. Let's pray.